Amen. Great story. God is changing people's stories. Uh, Christ community, that's really what we're all about. And it's just fun to see those stories. Uh, greetings to our West Campus and our Traditions venue and our 15th Street Campus, as well as our friends in LaSalle. So glad all of you are here. I am super excited about a new teaching series we're starting today. Don't worry, we're not um, leaving the book of Luke. We're not stopping that series. In fact, what we're going to do is we're going to do a deep dive into a passage at the end of Luke chapter Chapter 10, a passage that addresses a theme that I'm very passionate about, and that is how to cultivate a friendship with Jesus. What does it look like to be a friend of Jesus? Now, this is not just a theoretical or even a theological, simply a theological question. This is an experiential question. Our goal in this series is not simply to talk about having a more intimate relationship with Jesus, but to actually grow in this together, to grow in our experience of him. And so I want to tell you right up front that this message today is going to be integrated with some response opportunities, um, which means we're going to, at, at periodic points here in this message, we're going to stop and, uh, and, and experience some things. It may be prayer, it may be worship, but we're going to have an integrated experience. Um, and and, and just, a, just a heads up, that means that if you leave before the service ends, you're going to miss part of the message, okay? Just want to tell you that. So now when it comes to this topic of experiencing a friendship, with Jesus. I often find people in one of two camps. One camp is the camp that says every Christian automatically has a friendship with Jesus. Now, th this is reflected, this was reflected in a song, a worship song that came out a number of years ago. You may have heard it. It was called Friend, I Am a Friend of God. I am a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. He calls me friend. And when that song came out, um, I had this, and I heard it, I had this huge check in my spirit. In fact, I wouldn't let us sing that song in our worship services. Why? Because the Bible doesn't ever say that every Christian is automatically a friend of God. The Bible declares that he is our friend. God is our friend, absolutely. He is a friend of sinners. He is our friend. But for us to declare that we are automatically his friend just because we're a Christian is not something the Bible teaches. So that's one, one side. On the other side are those, and I think many of us here, are those who believe that a friendship with Jesus is reserved only for a small group of super spiritual saints. You know, people in the Bible, people like Moses and Abraham and, and John. But it's not something that, the, that us ordinary people, you know, that like you and me, it's not something that we can experience. And both of these perspectives are off the mark. While friendship with Jesus is not guaranteed, it is something that each one of us can experience, which is why Jesus often uses friendship language to talk about the kind of relationship that he desires to have with us. Jesus invites us to experience an intimate, close friendship with him. And I can just say um, personally, in some of the darkest, most difficult seasons in my life, I have been so thankful for this reality that I can cultivate a friendship with him and you can as well. So how do we do that? Well, that's the question that we're going to be answering for the next four weeks. And we're going we're gonna to do this 
by looking at a particular person in the Bible, someone who experienced this kind of relationship with Jesus. And what makes this so powerful, what makes this example so powerful is that this person is not some super spiritual saint like Abraham or Moses. No, no, this person is an ordinary person like you and me. Her name is Mary. Her name is Mary, and we are introduced to her at the end of chapter 10 in the book of Luke, beginning in verse 38. So I want us to read these uh, few verses out loud together. The words are going to be up on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is God's word. Okay, so Mary and Martha are sisters who live together in a town called Bethany. And we read that when Jesus came to Bethany, Martha opened her home to him. Martha obviously has the gift of hospitality. She invites Jesus to stay in their home. And as a part of that hospitality gift, she was focused on all the details involved in having Jesus in her home and having a good experience for him, right? Having a guest in her home, which was having meal ready and all that stuff. And so so we see someone here, Martha, we see in Martha someone who sincerely cares about Jesus, who wants to serve Jesus well, which is wonderful. I mean, the kingdom of God needs Marthas, right? Um, Marthas get things done. They are movers and shakers. They know how to produce. They know how to serve. They know how to do, right? And that's a really good thing. I mean, dinner would not have happened without Martha, right? So Martha's are important. Being able to get things done is important. But there's nothing wrong with what Martha is doing. She is sincerely wanting to serve Jesus. But what is clear in this passage is that she is missing something really important in her relationship with Jesus, something foundational. And Mary shows us what that is. We are told that Mary was sitting at the Lord's feed. Now talk about being unproductive, right? She was just sitting there, not really doing anything. Well, actually, she was engaged in something far more important than doing, and that something is delight. Delight. She was delighting in Jesus. His presence captured her attention. She was focused on it. She enjoyed, she was just enjoying being with him. That's delight. That's delight. And it is a crucial element of any friendship. It is a crucial element of any friendship. Two um, uh, true friendships, genuine friendships are not primarily focused on accomplishing things. The heart of a true friendship is just being with this person enjoying this person. And it's the same thing in our relationship with Jesus. The mark of a true friendship with Jesus is not doing. 
It's being, just being with Jesus, slowing down long enough to savor his presence, to enjoy his company. This is a mark of a genuine friendship with Jesus. Now, now some of us guys here, some of us men here may be thinking to ourselves, oh, this sounds like, you know, you know, girly stuff, right? You know, feminine kind of thing. Women are just like Mary, you know, they're more into this kind of being with relational stuff, but, you know, but not, this isn't for guys. So this is just for women, but that's not true. There's a, there's a counterpart to Mary in the old Testament and it's, it's David and David in the old Testament. He's a man's man, right? This is amazing leader. And he certainly knew how to get things done. But, but he says in Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. In Psalm 37, David says to us, Take delight in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. See, notice for David, this man's man, this leader. For David, the heart of his relationship with God wasn't about doing. It wasn't about producing. It was about being. David is talking about gazing upon the Lord, enjoying his beauty, enjoying God's beauty. So when do we delight in the Lord like that? When do we delight in the Lord? In fact, let me ask, let me ask a, a broader question. When do we delight in anything? When do we delight in anything? When do we stop and savor a moment with our children or a moment with a friend? When do we stop and look at a sunset instead of hurrying to our next destination? When do we just enjoy when do we just be? We live such busy, frantic, distracted lives. We are always moving. We are always doing, checking our Instagram, checking our Facebook, checking our emails, checking our texts. We are, we are so overstimulated from multiple directions that we rarely stop to delight in anything. The other day I was at Starbucks waiting to meet someone and they were late. And so I was just sitting there um, and um, I do what I did, what most all of us do in that situation. I reached for my phone and I discovered to my absolute horror that I didn't have my phone with me. I actually had left it at home. I was so frustrated. I didn't have anything to do. I couldn't respond to a few emails. I couldn't move up to another Candy Crush level or whatever. The thought of just sitting there and savoring a grande chai and enjoying a few minutes of peace and quiet. That was not even on my radar. I mean, 10 minutes with nothing to do felt like an eternity. Can anyone relate to that? This is the, this is the life we live. This is how many of us live our lives. We, we don't know how to stop and savor anything. 
We, we don't do delight very well in any area. So it's no wonder, it is no surprise that we struggle to do this in our relationship with Jesus. I mean, even in our times with him, our prayer time or our quiet time with him, even in those times with him, we are so often focused on doing, right? We got to pray through our list. We got to read this devotional. We got to do this, you know, and there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with those things. But again, this question, when, when do we take some time to just delight in Jesus, to enjoy his presence. Like having a cup of coffee with a friend. When, when do we do that with Jesus? To be in a friendship with Jesus means that we take time to delight in him, to enjoy him. Now, this doesn't mean that we never do anything. I'm not talking about that. But here, here's the, the, the critical point that Jesus is teaching in this passage. Here's, here's the point, summarized point. Our doing for Jesus should always flow out of our delighting in Jesus. Our doing for Jesus should always flow out of our delighting in Jesus. Always. And when we miss this, we miss out on a friendship with Jesus. Okay, so what are some indicators that our lives are perhaps out of balance in this area, that our, that our doing has become devoid of any delighting? Well, Martha shows us here. Martha shows us. She shows us three warning lights, three indicators, indicators of this. And each is a symptom of what I would call Martha-itis, okay? Um, and Martha-itis is doing without delighting. Doing without delighting. The first indicator we see here is worry. Worry. Jesus says to Martha, you are worried about many things. See, worry and delight are incompatible. They are incompatible. When, when we are delighting in the Lord, we're not worrying. And when we are worrying, we're probably not delighting in the Lord. They are incompatible. Because worry causes us to focus on circumstances. Delight moves us to focus on the goodness of God and the power and the love of God. So, so in our lives, when we don't take any time to stop and enjoy the Lord and to savor his goodness and his love, it opens a door for us to worry and to be anxious. Another indicator of Martha-itis uh, in other words, a life without delight in Jesus is anger. Anger. Jesus says to Martha, you were worried and upset about many things. She's, she's angry and frustrated at her sister. Mary's not helping at all. I'm doing all the work, right? Martha feels this weight, this heavy responsibility, and it makes her angry at her sister who is not as busy and not as concerned as she is. Misery loves company, right? And, and I, man, I have lived the Martha life. I tend to be driven, focused. I tend to be that kind of a person. Okay, I can be a workaholic, I know. And, and one of the underlying currents, one of the underlying currents of this kind of life is anger. We think, we, we, we think oh, it's all about being so spiritual and so productive. One of the underlying currents in this kind of life is anger. I'm much better now. I'm... I'm, I'm Still in recovery, but I'm much better now. But I remember a number of years ago, 
I would be up in my office, which is on the second floor here, and I, I would be up in my office getting ready for our services. And from my window, I would see people parking in our alley, and I would get mad. Don't they know we have a parking challenge here? Why, why aren't they parking at Central High School like I am? I'm parking at Central. I mean, this is happening minutes before a worship service where I'm supposed to teach, and I'm getting mad at where people park. Now, I need to say that in the midst of this, I realize this was not healthy, okay? Uh, give me a break here, you know. Um, don't judge me here, okay? Um, but I, I realize this was not healthy. My anger in the midst of that, I realize this is, not, this is not right. It's not about people. It's about me. This is an indicator. My anger was an indicator of something going on in me. And a lot of it had to do with this very thing we're talking about here. When we are so focused on doing for Jesus, we get angry at people who aren't doing what we want, they, want them to do or who aren't doing what we think they should do or who aren't working nearly as hard as we are. And this inevitably, this will inevitably bleed into our families, into our workplace, into our relationships, See, when everything is about productivity and achieving what we think is important, watch out. Because we start yelling at our kids. We start criticizing our spouse. Our fellow employees are running for cover. Do you have an anger problem? Now, before you answer that, I don't actually want you to answer that. I want you to ask someone who lives with you or someone who works with you. Ask them, ask your children, ask your spouse, ask your girlfriend, ask your fellow employees, see how they would answer that question for you. You could say to them, do I feel like an angry person to you? And I promise I won't get angry how you answer, okay? You got to kind of say that. But do, do I feel like an angry person to you? Ask them what they think. Just because you control yourself from exploding doesn't mean your anger isn't negatively impacting the people around you. Suppressed anger can be very destructive because it spills out in all sorts of other ways. This kind of anger is often a symptom of a life without delight in Jesus. It's a symptom of a life without delighting in Jesus, doing without delighting. One other indicator of Martha-itis is control. Did you notice that? Martha became, she becomes very demanding, very controlling about this. And notice, this is kind of funny actually, but it shows the depth of, of her control issues. She, she, notice what she says to Jesus, the Messiah, right? God's son, God in the flesh. She says to Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Translation, hello, don't you see what's happening here, you idiot? <laughs> And then she says to Jesus, tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. She is demanding that Jesus do something about this. See, our anger, previous point, often spills over into our control, areas of control. We want to clamp down and control everyone around us so that they end up doing exactly what our agenda is, what's most important to us. That's what Martha was doing. We do the same thing. See, when our relationship with God starts becoming more and more about doing, 
and less and less about delighting, we become just like Martha. We stress, we worry, we get angry, we start trying to control people to make them do what we want them to do. I mean, very quickly, we find ourselves unknowingly creating a church culture or a family culture or a workplace culture that's focused on externals, it's focused on rules, it's focused on productivity. And in that environment, in that culture, fear is the underlying dynamic rather than grace. Fear, right? Rocking the boat, making someone angry. That's the underlying thing, dynamic rather than grace. Martha vividly shows us what happens when our relationship with Jesus is all about doing. She shows us what happens. Not only does it negatively impact others, it causes our soul, our own soul, to atrophy. It takes the joy out of life and the joy out of work and the joy out of ministry. Now, it's not just Martha. We have a great example of this, another example of this. Um, in the book of, later in the book of Luke, Jesus tells a story that gives us a, a, a vivid picture of this in, in Luke chapter 15. It's a story about a dad who has two sons. And one day, the younger son demands his inheritance, all of his inheritance. He leaves home, and he ends up squandering all of this money, all the inheritance, on wild living. Eventually, he realizes his mistake, and so he, he goes home, and he says to his dad, I'm sorry, I'm not even worthy to be your son. Can I just be a servant? But his dad won't even let him get his speech out because his dad is so overjoyed. He hugs him, and he places a robe on him, and then he throws a party to celebrate the return of his lost son. It is this amazing picture of, of our Father, our Heavenly Father, His compassion, His heart towards us, this, this compassion, this unconditional love that He is for us, and, and all of that. He's celebrating that. It's a beautiful picture of God's heart. But in the story, it doesn't end there, because not everyone in this story is celebrating. Namely, the older brother who watched his younger brother do this. The older brother is not celebrating. And I'm going to read this. I'm going to read this section from Luke 15. And I want it just, as, as I'm reading and as you're looking at the words of there, I want you to see if you hear any Martha-itis coming out. Okay? Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother, but this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Do you hear the anger? Do you hear the frustration? Why was he angry? Because he had been the one who did everything right. He had followed the rules. He had obeyed his dad. But what was he missing? Delight. He was a son to an amazing father, a loving father. But he wasn't living in that reality. He wasn't enjoying that reality. He was living like an employee. He was living like his dad was this ruthless boss. 
For this older brother, his relationship with his father was all about doing. It was all about doing. And again, we see the fruit of that. The anger, the control, the self-righteousness. He had Martha-itis. He just didn't know it. Every one of us is vulnerable to this. We can easily start living our lives as if God is our boss rather than our father. And these warning lights of anger and fear and control can start surfacing because of that. So what's the answer? Well, I love what the father says to this son in this passage. He invites the son to experience the same thing he offers us. Look at what he says here, verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. See, what's the father inviting the son to do? To delight, to enjoy this relationship that is already his. He says, you are always with me. I want you to live in that reality. Everything I have is yours. Enjoy me. Enjoy my blessings and my provision. Your relationship with me is not primarily about doing. I'm your dad. Enjoy my love. Delight in my presence and my provision. See, that, that, that's the invitation God is offering to all of us. The same invitation. And Mary understood this. She was not worried. She was not upset. She was not trying to control people in situations. Her heart was captivated by Jesus. She was enjoying him, savoring, just being in his presence. She was delighting in him. And that's what makes the difference between her relationship with Jesus and Martha's relationship with Jesus. Mary's reveals a friendship with Jesus. Martha's looks more like an episode from The Apprentice. And what's fascinating in this passage is that Jesus clearly delineates between the two. He does. This is a teaching moment. Jesus says to Martha, Mary has chosen what is better. See, Mary has chosen to delight. She's chosen delight to be your non-negotiable. And everything else flowed out of that. And Jesus says, that's a better way to live. <laughs> the way Mary is living, that's a better way to live. That's the way I want you to live. I want everything you do for me to flow out of a delight in me. I want you to enjoy me, Jesus says. I want you to delight in me, to savor who I am. Because when that is at the core of your soul, when that reality of delighting in the amazing Savior that you have, when that reality is at the core of your soul, life becomes a whole lot more fun and a whole lot more meaningful and way less frantic. So how do we grow in this better life that Mary demonstrates? I'm guessing the most of us here see elements of Martha-itis in all of our lives, in our lives, or at least the person we're elbowing the last 10 minutes or whatever. But we see these elements, right, in our lives. What do we do with that? We see the warning lights of worry and hurry and anger and control. So how do we grow in our delight of Jesus so that our doing flows more and more out of our delighting? Well, there's something very important that this passage tells us, and yet it's easy to miss. Look again at verse 42. Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is better. Mary chose what is better. This was a choice 
that she made. Even when her sister was griping about it and making her feel guilty and accusing her of laziness, Mary made this choice. In the midst of all the activity, she chose to make time to delight in Jesus, to just sit at his feet, enjoying his presence in her home. And so what we see here is the vital importance of intentionality intentionality. For for some of us, our biggest barrier to a friendship with Jesus is our busyness. When do we make time to just be with Jesus, to enjoy him, to delight in his presence, in his love, in his majesty? When do we take time, like David did, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord? David said, this one thing I do, that's intentionality. That's intentionality. He chose to make time to delight in the Lord. And what I'm talking about here is different than just having a quiet time. I mean, I'm guessing there are some of us here who have had regular quiet times with God for years, and yet we've never really delighted in Jesus. Oh, we're doing our Bible reading, and we're praying through our requests and all that, all of which is really good, but do we ever take time to stop talking and to stop reading and to just enjoy him, to be with him. Our world urges us to set our affections on the new phone we just purchased or the new house that we can live in or the new clothes that we can't wait to wear. Our world urges us to delight in the image, in images on the internet or financial successes or whatever. And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, all of those things will fade away. All of them will fade away. The most beautiful, most amazing, most satisfying, most powerful, most loving, most complete being in the entire universe is Jesus. It's Jesus. When do we take time to just enjoy him? To gaze upon his beauty. Two weeks ago, we were coming back from California um, and trying to get to Salt Lake City before it got too late that night. And, and as we were driving east on I-80, there was this amazing sunset in my rearview mirror. I mean, it was stunning. But I was so focused on getting to our destination that I only glanced at it through the rearview mirror, right? The glory of God through a rearview mirror. And that just doesn't cut it. And for how many of us is that a picture of our spiritual lives? The glory of God through a rearview mirror. Our vision, our glimpses of God's glory are only found in a rearview mirror as we are hurrying to another destination. Folks, I'm not talking about a major reorientation of our lives. I'm just talking about intentionally seizing moments throughout our day to delight in the Lord. When the stress level is rising at work, you can feel it rising. Why not close the door and take three minutes to turn your heart to Jesus, enjoying his presence? During your prayer and Bible reading time with God, why not take a few minutes just to be with Jesus, to stop talking to him and reading his word and just be with him? When we find our, our, our worry and our anger level increasing, just choose in that moment to stop. And to take a few breaths and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to enjoy his presence. 
So as I said earlier, we're going to stop for a couple of minutes here. Message is not over, but we're going to stop for a couple of minutes and practice this. We're going to do this. We're going to stop and be in the Lord's presence. Again, this message is not done, but we want to create space for the next few minutes here to practice what we're hearing because we rarely do it. Um, and so we're going to practice this. I want to mention, um, maybe there's some of you here who are agnostic, maybe you're atheist, maybe you're just kind of exploring this whole God thing, and that is totally cool. We are so glad you're here. And I don't want any, please don't feel any pressure to engage in this response in any way, okay? Don't feel any pressure. You can just observe. Totally cool. But there are many others here. For the rest of us here, I want to encourage us to stop and delight in Jesus, so feel free to close your eyes. You can get comfortable. Take a few deep breaths. Imagine yourself sitting at Jesus' feet, okay? You're sitting at Jesus' feet, enjoying his presence. And while you're in that place, the worship team, they're going to they're gonna sing a song. It's a song that many of us here are familiar with. But I encourage you, the first time they do this song, let's just not sing and let them sing over us, okay? Just let the words fill our hearts because, again, our goal is just to be with Jesus in this moment. And at some point, Jory may invite, or the worship leader may invite you to join in. But let's begin by just listening. So let's do this.
invite you to sing with me. delight. We can do that anytime throughout our day to take time to delight in Jesus. And when talking about delighting in the Lord and making time for this, there's, a, there's another issue that, that can keep us from experiencing what Mary experienced. Even if we're encouraged to do this, there's something else that can keep us. And that is a damaged perception of God. Imagine, let me explain what I mean by that. Imagine you're in fourth grade and your teacher is cold and distant. She's always got a scowl on her face. Her arms are crossed. She's just mean. And one day she invites you to stay after school just to kind of hang out, right? Just to get to know her or whatever, get to know each other, just to be in her presence a little bit. Are you going to stay after school? No way, right? There is no way. You're going to find every excuse you can to get out of there. So now you're an adult 
And your pastor urges you to take time to be with God. But in your heart of hearts, you perceive God as being just like that fourth grade teacher or like a grumpy boss that you've had. Mean, angry, scowling, arms crossed, with a disappointed look on his face. Are you going to want to enjoy him? Are you going to want to slow down and savor him? No. See, for some of us, our damaged perception of God hinders us from delighting in him. Remember the older brother um, in the story we mentioned earlier? He, he was mad that his dad was celebrating his brother's return. He had a totally wrong perception of his father. He saw him as a demanding boss rather than as the loving father that he was. And because of that, he didn't want a close relationship. His perception of his father is what caused him to not want to be with his father. And that's where some of us are, honestly. The, the biggest barrier to some of us here, some of us experiencing a friendship with Jesus is our damaged perception of God. And so I want to take a couple minutes here and I want us to go there in prayer. I want to lead us in a prayer experience that can begin to allow God to heal our perception of him. So even if you've done this before, it's something you can, can, we can continue to do because God may want to continue to reveal things in our hearts that we weren't aware of before, and he wants to continue to heal our perception of him. So I encourage you, just close your eyes if you would. And again, if you're not into this kind of thing, or what, don't feel any pressure, but I invite you to close your eyes. And imagine right now, just imagine that you are in the presence of God. You're in the presence of God. Now, here's the question. How do you perceive him? Well, what is his posture towards you? As you're imagining yourself in his presence, what, how do you perceive him? What's his posture towards you? Is he near to you? Is he distant? Is he far away? Is he not even in the picture? You can't even see him? Now, that perception is very important. If, God, if you perceive God as being near to you, Man, I just, just keep enjoying his presence. I'm not going to talk to you for a moment. You just enjoy his presence, doing what you were doing a moment, do what you were doing a moment ago. Just let him love you in that place. But if your perception of God, if you perceive God as being distant from you, being far away, or being removed, being absent, it may be that your perception of God's been damaged by wounds from your past, and that's how you perceive him. He's just far away. See, often our perception of God comes from our experience of our earthly parents. It's just the way it is. How we experience our parents often gets projected, and we don't even we do this subconsciously. It just becomes a part of our perception of God. So if, if both or one of our earthly parents, were, they were absent from the home, we will often perceive God as being absent. If they were emotionally distant, they never really touched our heart. We, we often subconsciously perceive God as being emotionally distant. If they were always critical of us or disappointed in us, that's how we perceive God as being critical and disappointed in us. And so, so how do we begin to heal that? One of the keys is it, it, to, to having this negative perception of God healed is, is forgiveness. Choosing to forgive our parents for these things. 
Now, forgiveness is not minimizing the pain. It, it's just bringing it to the cross so you don't have to carry it any longer. So Jesus carries it. So here's what I want you to do. If you're comfortable doing this, there's no pressure here, but I just want to invite you. However you are perceiving God, I want you to invite, I want to invite you to forgive your dad or your mom for being that. So for instance, if you perceive God as being distant from you, I encourage you to say in the quiet of your heart, God, I choose to forgive my dad or my mom for being distant, for being disconnected, for not touching my heart. I bring this to the cross and I leave it there. Or if your dad wasn't even around, you can say in the quiet of your heart, God, I choose to forgive my dad for being absent from my life. I bring this to the cross. So I'm just going to take a couple minutes here and I encourage you in the quiet of your heart, just do that. Bring these offenses from your parents to the cross and leave them there. Okay, now I realize that maybe wasn't enough time. Totally understandable. We're just kind of walking through this so you can later on, you can, in your own time with the Lord, just walk through this as well. Now, now because we subconsciously, we often take these experiences and we project them onto God. Subconsciously, we do this. We need to renounce. What we need to do now is just renounce any lies we've believed about God based on our experience of our parents. So for instance, what this would look like is in the quiet of your heart, you can say something like this. I renounce the lie that you, God, are distant from me. Or I renounce the lie that you are disappointed in me. Or that you are absent. Or that you don't care. You just fill in the blank based on your experience. But now we're renouncing the lie that we believed about God from those experiences. So let's take a moment again in the quiet of your heart and just renounce any lies you've believed about God based on your experience of your earthly parents. God, we renounce these lies we've believed that you are distant, that you are critical, that you are disappointed, that you are absent. They're lies, and we renounce them now in the name of Jesus. We don't want to live under these lies anymore and have them damage our perception of you.
Okay, so now with your eyes closed here, I want you to, the next thing, I just want you to ask God what truth he wants to give you in exchange for these lies. So just ask him. Just listen. Say, God, what truth do you want to give me in exchange for these lies? I believe what truth about you do you want to give me? Thank you for the truths that you're speaking to ours. You are near. You are here. You are with us. You love us. You are for us. You are not disappointed. We are your children. God, thank you for these truths that you're speaking. So now I'm going to ask again, just close your eyes. I want you to imagine that you're in the presence of God. And how do you perceive him now? Has anything changed in your perception of him? Now, if, if nothing changed in your image of God or, or you didn't hear anything, that's okay. It's okay. This is a journey. This is a learning process. Often forgiveness takes time to work through. We're just, we're just trying to give you a taste of what healing might look like in this area. And so I encourage you, you can ask Jesus later on, go through the same process. Ask him to continue to heal your perception of him, to exchange any lies with truth and we also have a ministry here called Hope Abounds that does this with people. Just You can sign up for an appointment and they would pray you through this process so you can call the church for that. But God wants us to delight in who he really is, in his goodness and his love. And so, so we're going we're gonna to sing another worship song here. Again, the message is not done. There's a little more. But we want to sing another worship song where we, that talks about who God is and our delight in who God is. So for this one, why don't we, why don't we stand for this, for this song?
Okay, you can take your seats. Now, before we bring this service to a close, um, in just a couple minutes, I want to invite us into another experience, another pathway into a greater delight in Jesus. God has given us a gift that is specifically designed for this purpose of, sh- of slowing down and cultivating delight in him. It's the gift of the Sabbath, the gift of Sabbath. From the beginning of creation, God established a Sabbath rhythm of living that one day out of seven, we stop working. We stop producing. Why? For the purpose of delight, of creating space to enjoy God and to enjoy his creation and to enjoy his blessings to us, to reflect upon his goodness and his love. I mean, if God rested on the seventh day, who are we to think that we don't need that? Who are we to think that we don't have time for that, that we're above that, that we don't need that as well? Now, I know, I know some people get all worked up, and you've probably had conversations with them about what particular day is the biblical Sabbath, whether it's Saturday, whether it's Sunday, and really they miss the whole point of the Sabbath. It was Saturday in the Old Testament, it became Sunday after the resurrection for most believers, but the point, they miss the point. Scripture doesn't seem to emphasize which particular day it is. In fact, it kind of de-emphasizes that. Paul talks about arguing about Sabbath days in one of his letters. What the Sabbath does is emphasize, what God does in talking about the Sabbath is emphasize the importance of practicing a Sabbath rhythm every week. That's the point. Where one day out of seven We intentionally cease from our productivity and our to-do lists and our hurriedness and we take time to delight in the Lord and in his creation and in his blessings. See, God gave us this Sabbath principle, not as some legalistic rule, which people have turned it into. He He gave it to us, not as a legalistic rule. He gave it to us as a gift, The Sabbath is a a Sabbath rhythm is a gift to get off of the Martha treadmill and to cultivate a merry heart. You know, it's so ironic that we in our culture so desperately need this particular gift of rest and space and delight. And we're always complaining about how busy we are, right? We desperately need this. And yet we often resist it consistently. We resist Dare I even say, we disobey this commandment regularly. We ignore it every day. Even our days off become a day filled with to-do lists and busyness. God invites us to intentionally create space in our lives to enjoy him. And the Sabbath rhythm, the Sabbath principle becomes a wonderful way to begin wading into this, to be intentional about slowing down and giving space to be with Jesus, to thank him and to worship him and to enjoy his presence. So let me just ask, do you have a life rhythm where one day in seven you cease from working? And that includes checking work-related emails on your phone. And in that one day 
Are you willing to make space for delighting in Jesus? I'm not saying the whole day has to be spent in deep reflection. All I'm saying is that the Sabbath day, whatever day you choose, that the Sabbath day is a gift from God where we can carve out some time and space to enjoy him. So in a moment, I'm going to dismiss you with a blessing. And in doing so, I want to release you into an experience of Sabbath sometime this weekend. To slow down, to stop working, to put aside your to-do lists, and to enjoy God, to enjoy his creation, to enjoy relationships. Not in a hurried, frantic manner, but in a way that creates space and margin to experience what Mary experienced and what David experienced. An utter delight in this amazing Savior to whom you belong. Your soul longs for this. Your physical body, I'm guessing most of us here, your physical body needs this. Your relationship with God and with others will be blessed by this. Delight yourself in the Lord. Take time to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Okay, I'm gonna dismiss you in just a moment with a blessing to practice enjoying the Lord. But before we do that, I wanna just mention we do have um, prayer people who are available. They'd love to pray for you. Um, and so they'll be available around the room here wearing red lanyards. Also, our prayer experience don't forget that uh, this weekend, this Sunday, Sunday afternoon from four to six, and it's happening at the 15th Street campus, here at the 15th Street campus in our community room. So why don't we stand? Let's stand and let me, um, I want to pray for you and I want to dismiss you then with a blessing. So God, thank you for this experience together in these last Oh, these last uh, 80 minutes or so, this experience together, experiencing you and beginning to taste of delighting in you and having you begin to heal our perception of you and then this wonderful gift of Sabbath rhythm that we confess we have disobeyed so often. And yet it's a gift to us to enjoy. And so I pray for every one of us here to grow in our delight of you. To take time in our busy days, to take moments in our days, to just stop even for two, three minutes and just delight and to enjoy you. And to work through more prayer process just for our healing of our perception of you to continue, God. And then for us to grow and to choose to practice a Sabbath rhythm no excuses, to practice a Sabbath rhythm and receive this gift you've given us to grow in our delight of you. And so I pray that upon every person here and everyone watching this message or listening to it online, everyone, I pray that blessing upon them. So now may the Holy Spirit fill you with a longing to delight in your amazing Savior who loves you so much. And may you see and perceive him 
as the loving father that he is who calls you to just to be with him and delight in him. May you see him in that way. And may you practice a Sabbath rhythm where one day out of seven, you take time to enjoy his blessings to you, to enjoy his creation, to enjoy the relationships around you, and most importantly, to enjoy him above all else. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Christ community. We will see you next week.